Welcome back to the Montgomery Company's podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Montgomery. And today I am here with Chris Burke. Many of you know Chris. You've seen him on TV. Currently works with ESPN. He's an analyst. Some of you know him from his playing career. But he's a whole lot more than a baseball player and an analyst. I want to tell you about my friend, Chris Burke, who I met through Eric Wood, um, another great friend of mine. Eric Wood's doing great things in Louisville, Kentucky. Chris Burke, native of Louisville, Kentucky, although played his college ball in Tennessee. Uh, Chris grew up rock star athlete uh, in Louisville, Kentucky, Uh, went to Tennessee, where he was a three-time All-American SEC Player of the Year, played on some great volunteer baseball teams. Uh, Chris was eventually drafted by the Houston Astros. He was a first-round draft pick in the 2001 Major League Baseball Draft. He was a 10th overall selection. He's best remembered for a walk-off home run in the 18th inning. Some of you remember this. Game four of the 2005 National League Division Series. NLDS sends his team to St. Louis on a walk-off home run. Uh, a home run heard around the world. And now, Chris works for ESPN. He's got a podcast called Coach Me Up with Jimmy Dykes. He's a person, person of faith, passionate about mentoring today's youth. He's also a family man. And uh, Chris, we just want to say welcome to today's podcast. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, man. Fired up to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks again to Eric, man. That guy loves you. And, and uh, he's a dear friend. And I know you guys both share a love for Louisville, Kentucky. Start us out, man. What was it like growing up? Uh, is Chris Burke? Give us some background on the early days for Chris. Yeah, I was raised by Al and Mary Jo Burke. Um, my, uh, well, next to my wife, my two favorite people in the world. Um, and so they, they were uh, and still continue to be a huge blessing in my life. Um, I have an oldest sister, Aaron, and an older brother, Paul who I'm still very close with. Our kids are all super close. Um, They each have three girls. So there's six girls and then we have four boys and a girl. So we added some boys to the, to the Burke grandchildren mix. And we're all still here in Louisville and eat dinner every Sunday. So very close knit family, both growing up and still to this day. And, um, you know, raised on faith and sports and, um, Raised by two communicators. My, my dad was a teacher, coach, and then became um, very, very successful in the financial services industry, but kind of views himself still as a coach, right? He teaching people how to handle their money, coaching them up on how to handle their money. And my mom was a lifelong educator, spent 50 years in, I guess, 40, 40 years in um, uh, early childhood education, works a lot with um kids with learning needs now in a volunteer role and um, just a, two people that love to help other people. And so I've, I'm, I've experienced the fruit of that and, and kind of in that season of my life now where, you know, you, you spend, you know, really for me, I retired pretty early um, on my own terms. Uh, but first 30 years of my life were very me centric. Um, mm. And I started having some kids and obviously been married for a while and just walked away from the game and really have spent the last 12 years of my life. Um, not that I still don't struggle with being me centric because I do, but uh, trying to, to pour out um, and try to be used by the Lord to do that and um, share m- my gifts uh, for his glory and the good of others. So that's kind of where life finds me now, raising five kids with my lovely wife, Sarah, here still in Louisville. Well, it's interesting if you look back at your background, you've transitioned well 
uh, to different seasons and different stages in life, from college baseball to major league baseball. Today, you're giving your time professionally. I know still doing some analyst and TV work. But what you're really passionate about is is mentoring today's youth. I know that's something that fires you up. And you're spending a lot of time talking about parenting and, and coaching and specifically coaching youth. And so I'd love to go right there with you as a, as a father to four children. You've got five children of your own. Um, I know you're helping parents with this, but you're also parenting in your own right. And so yeah. I, I'd, I'd love for you just to talk to some parents who are listening, specifically parents who have children in activities. What do you learn and what, what do you see as some of the major challenges facing parents today who are either coaching or, or just have kids involved in youth sports? Yeah. I, you know, I think, first of all, I, I really appreciate the question. I, I got a long way to go. God's, I think, sharpened me in many ways um, over the last, I mean, I've been doing it for a while now. My, my oldest son is 13. I've been coaching his team since he was five. Um, but I really felt like the last few years I've done probably my most growing as far as God just like banging me in the head with like, keep, let's keep them. First of all, what is the main thing? And then let's try to really work on keeping the main thing, the main thing. And trust me when I tell you like, you know, Colossians 3, 23 work, work as if working for the Lord in all things, not for man. So like whatever we're saying yes to, we're going to go after it. This is not a, who cares if we play good and who cares? Like, like there, there's certainly more important things than that, but if we're going to spend our time doing it, like let's do it well. Right. But Every kid's different. Every kid has different goals and different abilities and different makeup. And so like my daughter, who's 15, she's a part of our school field hockey program, which is a very competitive field hockey program here in Louisville at Christian Academy. But she just, she just a member of the team. And I just told her from the jump, I said, Sydney, I don't, I'm not going to force you to do anything, but I, I would consider it a fantastic piece of your story. If you could just be a member of this team for the next four years, like I, I honestly don't care if you ever get on the field in a varsity game, but if you could go through the summer program, get through the strength and conditioning part, like be coached by a woman who's very intense and very demanding, learn to be a a vibrant part of the team, regardless of what place you earn in that team, that would be such a huge part of the learning process that I think really all of being a child is about, whether it's sports or school or um, socially, right? Like, like I would just, and she looked at me, this was about 18 months ago. That was probably about 12 months ago. She was shocked, which mm. I felt was like a win or a lot. Like she sees me coach my boys teams and she just feels like, well, it's got to all be about the end result. Right. And I'm no, not at all. Like baby. Yeah, it is. But here's what I think the end result is most important. Right. Um, and she has zero desire to play college field hockey. So why would I hold her to that standard? But I am going to hold her to a standard of saying yes to what she's agreed to. So if you're going to be on the team, we're going to try to do the best in whatever role you're capable of. And that might just be, you know, three minutes here or there, or it might just be being awesome in the weight room and the conditioning program, but certainly trying to be salt and light as a teammate. Um, mm. And I'll just share a little dad proud moment. Like she got the team award at the end of this year, her freshman year on the, uh, they don't have a freshman team. So it was the JV team. And it was basically like the teammate award. Mm. Like that's what she, you know what I mean? And I was like, I came home and told the boys, I was like, I don't care how many trophies y'all win. Like this will be at least tied for my favorite of Come any birth child will ever get. Um, just cause of a few of the things the coach shared about her attitude every day and the way she treated the other girls, like that's a win, you know, yeah. now that being said, 
my boys have um, talent and they have some goals and I'm trying to let them write their own stories, but I'm certainly going to try to, you know, the measure that, um, that they've been given, I'm going to try to facilitate that. Um, and so it looks a little different with them, but I just, you know, what are we learning? Mm. Right. What are we learning? Like to me, problem solving is like one of the best parts of youth sports. Like what, what are you learning? And that's why as their coach, you know, I, I have to put them in environments where they're forced to learn. So we have a mm. fortunate, my older son has a very talented group of kids that he goes to school with. So like, I have to put them when I get opportunities in environments where they can lose because you, you need to work through those problems, you know? So sometimes like last year we played up a bunch, just, Hey, you're really good for your grade, but I need you to stub your toe. I need you to feel dominated. I need you to feel frustrated. Yes. I need you to work through that. So that's a huge part of you sports. You're not getting that at your grade with the, the schedule the school has us in, which is, you know, it's nobody's fault. It's just the league we're in. So I need to find that not to beat you up, but just to help you learn to solve problems, you know? So, um, I've said a lot, I'll let you hop in here, but that, those are the things it's like, you know, and, and then I'll just say personally for each one of them, how can they use their gifts? My, my, two, my 13 and 10 year old play quarterback. And I think it's just really neat position. Like how do you use your gifts for God's glory and the good of others? Like literally the quarterback's job is to get the ball to other people. Like that's their job. And then they get to shine, especially in youth sports. You know, it gets older. Everybody gives the credit quarterback so much credit and praise. But in youth sports, the person who actually scores the touchdown usually gets all the praise. You know what I'm saying? Totally. So, so like, you know, if you throw a 40-yard pass and the kid catches it in the end zone, everybody's going to go celebrate with that guy, right? And that's a, totally. that's a great lens to view it from. And I'm hopeful I can continue to see, let, help them see it through that lens, no matter how long they play. Well, so many, so many life lessons that come from sport, you know, and, and you've got a ton of them through, you know, watching your kids, but also through, through playing the game, you mm -hmm. know, and your, your whole life. And so I want to stay in this vein and, and I want people to know this and just, and just understand this about your situation. Like Tennessee baseball is like, like Duke basketball, Alabama football. So if people are listening to this, maybe you're not a baseball fan, you're not maybe having the right context you didn't just go to Tennessee and play baseball. You were the SEC player of the year. And then you were a first round draft pick. And then you had a successful, you know, pro career. So you, you had all this it, recognition and, and praise. And that could have all gone to your head. Maybe it did at times. Um, but here's what I want to know. When you, when you look back at your playing career, Chris, what were some of the greatest lessons? Like what are, what are one or two of the greatest life lessons that you took away from playing baseball at the highest level? Well, let me say that currently Tony Vitello has Tennessee certainly trending in a very high direction. I wouldn't quite put them in the uh, Alabama Duke category, but they are, they are on a good roll. <laughs> they're, they're when, a good I was role. There, when I was there, they, they, they had been up and down. And my first two years, we actually missed the tournament. And then my third year, we finished third in the country, went all the way to the national semifinals and in, in, in college world series. So I experienced a lot there. Um, I think what, I think the biggest thing for your listeners that I hope I could tell them that I learned from my college experience was, was two things for the leaders and the coaches that are listening. I was a freshman All-American and then I was the first team All-American played on Team USA after my sophomore year. I was a very good player. I was our best player, but leaving after my sophomore year, our head coach, Rod Delmonico, challenged me 
in a way that I won't get into the weeds of it, but he thought I could be better. And he told me exactly why and how, but he sent me out to figure it out on my own. And I'm eternally grateful for that because I think in life, in sports, sometimes we are afraid to coach our best, say you're, you're a sales manager. You're afraid to coach your best salesman, right? Or, or if you're actually coaching a sport right now, sometimes it's, you just kind of manage your best person or personality or, but you don't really challenge them or coach them or try to call them higher. And I think some of that is there's risk involved. Like what if I take somebody who's really good and tell them that they can be better and then they, they get in their own dome or they, they go backwards. And so I was on base machine. I was a hit collector. I hit for really high average. He thought I could hit for more power. And I, I remember when I told my dad about our meeting, he was like, well, Chris, but you got a pretty good thing going here. You're really going to mess with that. And I was like, dad, I, I agree with him. I think I can do better. Well, long story short, I went from four home runs my sophomore year to 20 my junior year. Mm. And my on-base slugging, um, run scored, batting average all went up. So not only did I, I didn't sacrifice power for, or average for power, it all went up. And I went from probably being a second round pick to a high first round pick. Like, wow, what a, but I would say not to pat myself on the back, I'll give my parents credit for this. Like I was, so first of all, credit coach for not being afraid to coach his best player, but then I was coachable. Mm. Right. You know what mm. I mean? Like instead of, well, wait a second, dude, have you not looked at my stats this year? Why would you? Uh, no, I'm, I'm good. Like I'm, I'm no, like, okay, coach, you think I can get better? You think this would make me better? I'm, I'm certainly willing to try that. So uh, I, I credit my parents for raising someone that was okay to be coached, you know, and I certainly didn't always win at that, but in that moment, um, you know, I feel like that was really a snapshot that I learned that was a huge piece of my Tennessee. And then in, in professional baseball, I'll be honest with you, I got to the big leagues with a pretty straight line, but man, my big league career was nothing what I hoped it would be. Um, but that being said, man, I was spiritually discipled by people that have had a lasting impact on my life. And so even though mm. from a plain standpoint, it did not go the way I wanted it to at all, uh, I wouldn't trade it. I, I'm not, I'm not going to say I wouldn't do anything different. I don't like when people say that. Like, it didn't go well, but I wouldn't do anything different. I would do things different. I certainly would. <laughs> but, um, man, it, was I blessed by people like Anthony Acevedo, Orlando Palmero, Andy Pettit, Lance Berkman, just to name a few, and then a number of chaplains um, along the way that mm. Gene Pemberton and Brian Hommel, like people that really poured into me spiritually, uh, that changed the trajectory of my life in that regard. So. Um, a little bit of sports there and a little bit of spiritual, but uh, my playing career, um, man, taught me a lot about uh, about sports, but then certainly um, about life. Well, one of the things that's marked your career in your life that's clear to me is that you were open to to receive. That you would you were receiving feedback. You said it. You were you were coachable. We've said the difference between being coachable and teachable is if you're teachable, you'll listen. If you're coachable, you'll implement. And um, I'd love for you to speak to not just young athletes, but we have some young leaders listening, mm -hmm. um, some young salespeople listening who are, who are getting coached. Um, in your mind, Chris, what are some of the, the uh, hallmark traits of, of people who are coachable? What, what do they do? Uh, what do they not do? To, to, to mm -hmm. Tell us about that. Well, I think they got to be critical thinkers because, mm. you know, the, the, the there, you'll hear a lot of voices in your, in your path. 
And you, you got to be able to ask the questions of, okay, where's this person coming from? Is what they're telling me applicable to actually mm. where I need to grow? Um, and if it is, then you got to be obviously willing to try it, you know, but if mm. I go back to that previous circumstance I talked about, like, here's a guy that had coached world-class hitters. He's showing me video on how my mechanics were falling short of some of the best hitters that were out there. And then he's telling me very simply, like, I think if you do this, this will happen. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, okay, yeah, that works. I, I think, I think, I think what you're telling me adds up. I'm going to try it. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm constantly challenging our children to be independent thinkers. Like I tell mm-hmm. this joke all the time. My, my now 10 year old, when he was like seven, he's like dead. And I hope there's not young people listening to this, but he's like, dad, elf on the shelf's not real. And I was like, well, what we got? He's like, dad, it's a, it's a toy. I mean, I was like, yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. It is a toy. Think. Don't let somebody sell you a bill of goods. Like use your eyes, use your instincts, use your intuition, process things. It's a toy. I celebrate it. Like Sarah's like, yeah, that's great. Sarah's like, you know, the innocence (laughs) of, no, he'll hide it for his little brothers. He's still all into it. But I just, I celebrated the critical thinking part there. And so um, you, you need to be able to try new things, but I think on the front end, you really need to be able to filter does this work? Does this, does mm. like, is the person who's giving me this advice have fruit of things that have been successful, whether it be with themselves or somebody else? Uh, because there, there's a fine line between being coachable and just going wherever the wind blows. So good. Well, I agree with you on everything that you just said about keeping an open mind and being willing to receive. And, and I think also one of the hallmark traits about people who are coachable is they'll, they'll circle back with the person who taught them to share the feedback, right? Or say, hey, I appreciate that you taught me this or here's how this is going. I think that's an important step that so many of us miss in our development. I want to talk about the work that you do at ESPN. You mentioned that you're a son of two gifted communicators. Clear that you've got a gift of communication. Fun to spend some time talking about your playing days, but I want to spend some time talking about your professional days. We believe great leaders are great communicators. Great communicators make great leaders you're a communicator, you're a leader in your mind. What makes somebody a gifted, impactful, connected communicator? Well, that's a deep question. I think, I think the ability to see something and then articulate it in ways that are uh, succinct, but also impactful, right? So I watch you swing a bat. I got to be able to say, okay, who's in front of me? Where's his level of um, skill and then what are the kind of the keep the main thing the main thing like what are the areas where i really feel like i can't give him everything he won't understand any of it right what are the main things that i could give him that would instantly allow him to maybe have some success and so when i'm calling a game um the feedback i've gotten and i think it's very helpful that i you know my i have a hitting facility where i teach consistently is when i'm breaking down a swing or breaking down a play i feel like i have a connection with the audience because i'm so used to doing it. So I'm able to go, Hey, here's what I think was most important. And this is why it's important. And this is how it was done. Um, But I I think if you just take what I just said, you can transfer that over to so many verticals, right? Like whether it's, you know, financial planning or uh, uh, sales, or um, if you're in corporate leadership, like 
what, what's, what's going on? What is that good or bad? How do we fix it? Here's the examples of what it looks like when it's work, when it works. And then now here's how we're going to go do it. Right. So um, I, I think that game plan um, filters over so many different um, uh, parts of life, whether that's business or, or church or um, could be education. But I think being able to clearly articulate uh, where we're at, where we want to go and how we're going to get there, I don't think that'll ever change. And the best communicators are able to do that in a way that speaks to their audience and not above their audience. It's not about what you say. It's about how you say it, you mm-hmm. know, and, 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 and amateurs focus on what they're going to say. Professionals focus on how they're going to say it. And, mm-hmm. and again, I think part of what makes you impactful is you've got big energy. You've got some enthusiasm you know, and, and you connect, you don't just communicate, but I think you connect. So mm-hmm. I think that's helped you separate, you know, in, in your work as an analyst and broadcaster. Um, well, it's, it's, it's so yeah. much, who am I talking to, right? Who, that's who right. is, who's in front of me? I, I could say a million things, but really what matters is the person or people that I'm speaking to and th- does it land with them? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting you say that because I, I was in a green room the other day with John Maxwell and we're getting ready to, to speak at this event. And um, somebody asked John, it wasn't me. Somebody asked John in that room, he said, John, before you, before you take the stage, um, how are you thinking about your, your talk? That was the question. And he said something really interesting. He said, well, I'm not thinking about my talk. I'm thinking about my audience mm. and what they need. And as long as I'm thinking about what they need, rest assured, I'm going to, I'm going to connect. Mm-hmm. If I'm simply thinking about my talk and what I need and that thing that I need to tweak or that story that I need to tell or just yeah. that, that perfect way it's going to come out, then I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to end up communicating. Mm. I, I don't want to communicate. I want to connect. And so the way that John said that really resonated. And, and that's what you just described is, is connection, focusing on other people and thinking about what they need to hear, not just what mm. you want to say. Well, um, I think when you're an expert, you're like, well, I know what I'm going to talk about, but really what matters most is who I'm talking to. And I'll, I'll yes. figure out how to communicate that once, once I start to connect to who I'm talking to. Well, and, and I think like Kirk Herbstreet does a great job of this because you see the game in such a different way, right? But to the person listening, to the common fan, they're not seeing the game the way Chris Burke's seeing the game. So it'd be easy for you to, to make it complex and, descri- and describe all the intricate details that ultimately don't matter if you were focused on what you're saying. Mm. But because you're focused on who's listening, I think being able to break that down, keep it simple and describe it in a way that people can hear it and understand it. I mean, I think that's the essence of, you know, great communication and connection. And I, I'm um, grateful. I've got some people that I work with that when I do start talking up here, they'll be like, you know, now what does that mean? Or, you know, I might have a producer in my ear say, hey, don't, you know, the, the, your listener doesn't doesn't know what that means. Make sure you, you know, and that those are those things are very helpful too. to have people around you that can recenter you when you maybe do get uh, in the clouds a little bit. Well, we, we all need that feedback, man, myself included. So uh, J- James here and my wife, Ashley love to give feedback on these podcasts. So you can, you can give, you can beat me up, Chris, about how I asked you questions. Um, <laughs> You're doing hey, great. Let's, let's, let's lay in this plane. Um, I, I want to know you, you are really open about your faith. And I think in today's world, it can be challenging to be, out in public and out front and be really intentional and really bold about the role that 
the Lord plays in your life and in, in, in his His presence and his kingdom and, and to be able to talk about that openly and freely. And so I just love to know, how are you thinking about that? Um, you know, when whether it's your it's a speaking engagement, you're working with the youth sports team, you're representing Jesus and, and his kingdom on ESPN. I mean, obviously you got to be a little bit tactful and diplomatic, but um, I, I want you just to go unfiltered here with like, how does Chris Burke think about doing God's work in your, in your day-to-day life? Uh, well, um, thank you for that tee up. I, I would just say, you know, uh, I've already used it once. Like our, our gifts are for God's glory and the good of others. And um, the, uh, I think the calling that I have is to try to love others um, well. And sometimes that's not, that's not always real nice and friendly. Like, you know, some of my players would be like, that doesn't feel like love right now, coach. Well, right. one day you'll have a little different definition of love, you know? Uh, and we talk through that sometimes. Um, I think as far as professionally, man, it's just like, and I can blow this. Don't get me wrong. I, I certainly have a long way to go on this, but just, um, you know, first of all, trying to do my job well, trying to do my job well. And, and, um, um, being excellent and what God's called me to and, and being grateful for the opportunity he's given me to do something I love. So having a joy and a passion and intensity and a preparation around that, I think, uh, points people to him, but then just mm. doing my best to try to, um, engage and, and, and create friendships and relationships where that matters. And mm. if at some point that leads to a deeper conversation about the Lord, then, um, I trust God to tee those up if it doesn't. And, mm. and, um, those, some of those relationships stay servicey, then, um, you know, that's part of life. Right. Um, but I've kind of removed myself from the, I'm, I can't save anybody. Right. I'm just a dude. I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. Uh, but I, but I certainly can be available to be used by the Lord to show love and kindness and respect. Um, and to, to hopefully do my job in a way that other people, um, think is admirable. So that those are kind of the, for me, the priorities. Um, now at home, um, I, I intentionally plug myself into a situation where things are teed up to talk about the Lord. Right. And so men's ministry at mm-hmm. Southeast Christian church, like it's a, we have this thing, a man challenge where I'm a table leader and that's where I met your buddy, Eric Wood. Um, and, 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 and those mornings are teed up to talk about the things of the Lord, to talk about God's ways and how they're best and how they're for our good, even when they war against our flesh. Um, and so, uh, trying to point men to him, not, not to me, uh, I'll let you down. I'll disappoint you, but trying to point men towards Jesus's redemptive power, his, his, um, unique call to grace, which only Christianity offers, um, this idea of unmerited forgiveness, which just like mm-hmm. blows my mind. Um, and then his ways, which he, again, they are for our good. Mm. Sometimes they're not fun. Sometimes, uh, it, it, it cannot be convenient, but when you, when you, when you put God's ways in action and you can put men in front of men, uh, that have done it for decades and you see the fruit in their life and you can, they, you can hear their stories, um, that can really bring change. And when you see that change, man, that that's a, it's a beautiful thing. So, um, that's really where my, my mindset is now. And then with these kids, man, it's like first Corinthians three, six through seven talking about planting seeds, doing the watering, but only God can make it grow. It's like, 
you know, these kids are anywhere from, like I said, nine to 13, 14 that I'm working with right now with the teams I coach. It's like, all I can do is plant seeds and be prayerful Mm. that, Mm. you know, God will make them grow. And so not putting too much pressure on myself, but also trying to stay intentional about being faithful to what God's called me to. Come on, man. Love everything that you just shared about being faithful and, and planting seeds. I remember our pastor one time gave this illustration. There was a, a chain, and you may be seen this illustration before. It's a bunch of red links, and the red links represented every spiritual conversation or every moment where somebody prayed over that person. And then, you know, about three fourths of the way through the chain, there was a yellow link, and the yellow link was kind of that moment, the conversation of the moment where where that person accepted Christ. And I think sometimes in our selfish desire, instead of just being faithful and planting seeds, we want to see God do the work of somebody like coming to faith and, and all the good stuff happening. Um, the reality is we get to be the yellow link very few times. You know, do we get to be in the moment with somebody where they're like, hey, man, I'm, I'm accepting Christ. And we see, we see God's work in a really big way. Oftentimes, mm-hmm. it's not that. We're a, we're a red link. Mm-hmm. And we get to pray over somebody or we get to have a spiritual conversation or we simply get to model uh, God's ways. And so, man, when, when you just said that about planting seeds, that's an illustration that I thought about. May, may we just be a red link and be okay with that and, and planting seeds and, and do a good yeah. work. And the well, other thing- if you think about it, like when we start putting the pressure of saving anyone, for, again, we're not capable, but if we feel like we, like then we take the credit when it happens. Like, you know what I mean? Like we don't get, we didn't do that. God did it. That's right. Uh, so I just think it's very, care- it's very uh, helpful to keep that lens. Yeah. Amen. And I just want to riff on that, that what you said about love, I think Andy Stanley said, you know, uh, one of the most powerful questions we can ask is what does love require of me? Mm. And love, love isn't always warm and fuzzy to your point. I think love, love sometimes means that you're getting after somebody or you're holding them accountable or you're challenging them. So, Hey man, you just preached a sermon. Um, that last 10 minutes, uh, everybody needs to go back and listen to that again. So if you're driving to work right now and you need to pull the car over, uh, do it and and take notes. Um, Chris, man, this conversation's a blessing. Here's here's what some people are thinking about. Here's what I'm thinking about is how do I how do I go deeper with Chris? Um, where can we find out more about you, uh, engage with you, um, connect with you? Like, where do people go to learn more about Chris Burt? Well, I, I'm not a big social media guy. I do have Twitter and use it uh, mostly for my own viewing and knowledge, especially during the college baseball season. That's how I keep up with a lot of the what's going on. Um, but I am on Twitter. You can find me at Chris Burke 2 there. Um, but that's my only social media platform. But me and Jimmy Dykes are doing a podcast, as you said. Um, and so Coach Me Up podcast, you can find wherever you get your podcasts. And we're, we're just trying to be, uh, be salt and light through the platform of sports. And we need to have you on. Uh, soon hopefully hopefully we can uh, flip the script on that but uh you know we've had some really some neat i had a buddy that i love dearly we had the the university of kentucky cheerleading coach on recently and she shared uh of this reading the bible in a year app and we he and i were talking about something completely unrelated and he said man i've been i've been meaning to tell you i listened to y'all's last podcast and i've I took uh, her up on that challenge and I'm on day 25 mm. and I was just like, I mean, I'm all in like, you know what I mean? It's just like that. I don't care how many downloads we get or whatever. Like I got a buddy that's reading his Bible now. Like, dude, that is so worth it. So anyway, that's, that's been a lot of fun and hopefully people will check that out. 
Well, hey, I'm checking it out. I just listened to two episodes. So in prepping oh, for cool. this podcast, uh, the energy, the content, it's practical. You have great guests. And so go check out Coach Me Up, Chris Burke, Jimmy Dykes. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue to be a, a listener and a follower and just a fan of yours, man. The, the energy that you bring, the enthusiasm. I love that you're using your gifts to God's glory. And I, I feel like I said this about Eric Wood. I'm going to say this now after 40, 40 minutes of conversation with Chris Burke. What you see is what you get. And I appreciate you keeping it real, uh, being being who you are. Um, I, I, I'm sure at times in your journey, it's been uh, difficult to take a stand uh, for the Lord. But um, man, we need more people like you uh, out on the front line, you know, um, being authentic uh, about who they are in Christ. So, so thanks for wearing your faith on your sleeve and uh, being who you are. Well, I appreciate all the kind words. I, I certainly don't have all the answers, but I, I'm, I'm uh, blessed to be influenced by a lot of people um, and blessed to be connected uh, with, with somebody like yourself that uh, is, is shining a bright light as well. So I uh, just appreciate you having me on and give me an opportunity to wrap with you a little bit this morning. It's been a blast. Well, there'll, there'll be more that we'll do together, man. And uh, again, thanks for investing your valuable time. Um, our listeners don't know this, but you're at home alone with a four-year-old. So um, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm going to let you back to your back yeah. to your dad duties. And uh, man, good luck with those five kids of yours. Merry Christmas, man. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on. Yeah, man. Merry Christmas to you too, brother. This has been another episode of the Montgomery Companies podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Montgomery. I want to say thanks also to John Choate and James Roth of Storyline Multimedia for all of the work that they do behind the scenes to make this episode go. If you enjoy listening to this show, if you're somebody who tunes in once in a while to our podcast, we'd love it if you'd officially subscribe so that we could move our mission of impact forward. This podcast is designed to help the leader go farther faster. We hope you've done that today. Be well, be great. Have a wonderful day.